Growing up, there was this older gentleman in our church. He was, uh, all the kids loved him. He was a great guy. And what he did every single Sunday is as we came through the door, he would already be there, and he would give us a quarter. All right? And that was big time. I was like, yes. Every single Sunday to every single kid, he would give a quarter. Uh, but to me, I thought I was special because he would say, here you go, champ. Right? And I was like, yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm the champ. Right? That's right. I'm the champ. Right? He, he gave us this. He did this every week. And, you know, was, what a great nickname, I thought. I was, I was the champion. I was like, you know, in my little six, seven-year-old myself, I was like, that's of course, that's what I am. I'm the champion. And like I said, this happened week in and week out. And it wasn't until I was much older that I learned that this sweet old man who uh, brought me a quarter every week, well, he called every little boy in church champ or, or chief or fort. Right? You see, uh, he had trouble remembering names, and he just he called all the boys champ, all the, all the boys, you know, fort, all these different nicknames. He called the girls sweetheart or, or something like that. And I thought, man, that's rude. Right? Right? That's rude. Not everyone's a champion. Just me. Does, uh, does every, anyone here remember, uh, have a hard time remembering names? Right? Uh, I know I, I, I do, right? I have a hard time remembering names. And have you ever reintroduced yourself to someone that you already know, and, and when they say, oh, we've already met, and you have no clue what their name is, how do you feel? That's the absolute worst, right? right? A, a while ago, we were at youth group, and we had an entire conversation about our names, where we got them, and what they mean. And for the record, I'm just stating this. This is a side note, but you may want to write this down. Andrew means strong and manly. <laughs> just saying. Andrew means strong and manly. Keeney means brave or fierce. So, you know, I was named very correctly. Right, names, names have a great power to them, right, and, and great significance in our lives. Now, how many of you were named after another member of your family? Some of us, right? How, how many of you were, were named after a famous person or someone your parents uh, respected? One of my, my best friends, he ended up marrying my sister. Uh, we call him Tyler, or T.D. is his nickname, but his name is actually Steven Tyler, Right, Steven Tyler, his parents were really into Aerosmith, and that, for some reason, was important to them. Right? So, how many of us, let's look at it like this, how many of us know someone named, like, Benedict Arnold? <laughs> no? Right? We don't know any Benedict Arnold. Well, Benedict Arnold was, was doing horrible things. His, his name was not an uncommon name when he was doing all the things that he was doing. So why don't we see it anymore? Why don't we use that anymore? Why is little Asher over there not named Benedict Arnold? Right, could it be the treacherous acts of one Benedict Arnold that ruined that name for an entire society? Right, do you know anyone named Hitler? Uh, have you named your child after Jeffrey Dahmer? Right, what about Lucifer? Now, some of your parents, you're probably thinking, ah, that would be a good name for my kid. Right, the, the way that they act. Right, do we know anyone named Judas? Right, this used to be a very common name. In fact, 
Two of Jesus' disciples in the New Testament were named Judas, but only one betrayed him. Right? So can you imagine for a second the other Judas? Right? For the, the rest of his life, he had to introduce himself as Judas, a disciple of King Jesus. And then he had to follow that by saying, no, 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 not that one. Right? No, not that one. Right? Right? One man's actions tainted an entire name. There is significance that goes along with names. It's just the way it is. And in the Bible, it's no different. In the Bible, a person's name often signifies his character or his ability or his, his mission, especially when the name is given by the God that he's forging his life on. Right? Let, me, let me give you an example. Adam and Eve. Right? Eve, because she was the mother of all living Things, right? She's the mother. God changed uh, Sarai's name, spelled with an I, named to Sarah with, a, with an H because she would be the mother of a nation. He changed Jacob's name to Israel because Jacob was willing to let God be first in his life after a little bit of wrestling with God in the desert. He changed Saul's name to Paul after he became a, a, a fierce believer in Jesus, and when, when the Son of God came into the world, his name was not left to chance. Right? We read in, the, in the, the, the Christmas account, in the Advent stories, you shall name his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? Names given by God are intentional, they're, they're powerful, and they're life-altering. And the names of God himself are no different. They are intentional, they are powerful, and they are, for sure, life-altering. God does not choose random names for himself. He just isn't just, oh, that sounds good. He chooses names for the sake of revealing things about himself that will, look, they will deepen our faith, They will reveal his character uh, to us, and then they're going to grow our admiration of him. And so over the the next couple of weeks, we're going to take a look at some of the names of God. And and my prayer is not that we'll just think, man, this guy has a a lot of cool names. Good for him. But my my prayer is that, but rather that we would would begin to dive a little bit deeper into the depth and to the width and the vastness of our God. And so today we begin by looking at a story in the Old Testament, a story of another man that had his name changed by God, and that man's name is Abraham. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter uh, 22 is where we're going to be at the end of that 22nd chapter. And we'll be there in just a minute. Genesis is in the Old Testament, the beginning of your Bible. Genesis chapter 22 is where we're going to look at this first name of the God that we're forging our life on. So before Genesis 22 happened, let me just give a little bit of context. Before we read what we're going to read today, uh, this is what happened. The entire world is created. Adam and Eve, they work in the garden, and then they what? They commit the first sin. They are sent away from the garden to work in the fields and to populate the earth. Then the first 
sons come of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. They get in a fight. Cain kills Abel, committing the first murder. And well, it's pretty much downhill from that moment. So much so that God sent a great flood to wipe the slate clean and asked Noah to, to build an ark. And after this great flood and this great restart, generations after, God calls a man by the name of Abram. Right? And he later changes his name to Abraham. So Abram and Abraham, same guy. And he says to Abram in Genesis 12, I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And from this one blessing, Abram becomes the father of our faith. He, he is the beginning of hope, of grace, of purpose in a dying world. And Abraham is commonly seen as a great example of someone who exercised strong faith and built a great nation because he forged a lifelong reliance on God. But listen, let's not kid ourselves. Because Abraham's story, his journey, was not always that easy of a story or of a journey, of an adventure. In fact, there were, there were moments that when he failed and he stumbled and he messed up, he did it royally. Uh, he did it in like great fashion. God, God called Abram. Abraham, this man, when he was 75 years old, he instructed him to leave his land, to leave his relatives, his father's house, everything that was familiar and comfortable, right? Most of us retiring when we are 75, we're, we're putting away all the, the travel items and we're, we're settling in, right? right? But God's calling him to go out. One of, uh, one of Abram's uh, first failures in fear, Abram called Sarah his, his wife, uh, not his wife, twice. He said, oh, that's my sister. Right? And man, I think we can all agree that saying that our wife is not our wife, it's a huge mess up. Right? It's something we probably don't want to do. It's a wonder that this man survived as long as he did. But Abram, he did survive. And God said, get up. I got a plan for you. And God promised to bless Abram by making him into that great nation that would bless all the nations of the earth in Genesis 12. Now, Founder Church, this was the problem, though, because Abram had no children, right? How was he going to be the father? How was he going to have this, this legacy, this lineage, right? He had no children, and his wife Sarah was barren. And so in his doubt, Abram, Abraham, this man, attempted to take matters into his own hands and out of God's hands. And he decided to have a kid by Sarah's slave, Hagar. Right? Even though God said it was supposed to be Sarah's kid that started this great nation. So just an aside, listen, men. If you've already called your wife your sister twice, <laughs> it's most definitely not a good idea to sleep with your slave to have a child. Right? Just marriage advice. Right? That is, that's just free marriage advice for us today. But, but God, even though these mess-ups happen, this... This missing of the mark happened, right? God remained faithful. And, and Abraham eventually did have a son named Isaac. Although it took 25 years for God's promise to be fulfilled. Right? And then in Genesis 22, Abraham faced his greatest test of faith. Let's just look at the very first two verses 
of Genesis 22. That's where we're going to look at today. Just real quick. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I just keep your, your finger there. So, so this, this great test, it starts with something that's pretty interesting. Right? Look at how verse 1 begins. It begins, uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of easy to overlook, but look how it begins. What does it say? After these things. Right? Moses, the, the author, the writer of Genesis, wanted us to think back over Abraham's long journey. All right, what I just recapped there. Remember the journey. Right? He wants us to remember it, to think about it. The journey that led Abraham out of his homeland, the Ur of, of the Shaladines, through the twists and the turns of, of failing to believe God and, and fully uh, trusting him and his goodness for making some very poor marriage decisions through the birth of a child and the start of a nation. Moses, the author, he wants us to remember these things from the horrible things in a place called Sodom and Gomorrah to this, to this very conversation that Abraham is having with God. After all those things, after all that history, after that long journey, after all of that, we come to verse 2. And boy, it's difficult to understand, right? Now, have you ever been there? Right? That, that's why the names of God are so important. Right? Have you ever been there in that boat, in that same seat as Abraham? You, you, you've been through it. Right? You, you, you're, you've been on this long journey. You've been through it. God, uh, gone through some horrible pain of something, and you finally got over a huge addiction or something, or you just, you just survived a, a terrible breakup or divorce, and phew, you think, I made it. I did it. I finally, I, I can breathe, and then all of a sudden, bam, all right? Into your lap drops something even more horrible. This is where Abraham is sitting right now. He, he's been through it, and he gets this message from God, the God that he's forging his life on. Take your son. Take your son, your, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. I mean, don't miss that, right? Right? Think of, you know, rotisserie chicken there, right? <laughs> offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I, I will tell you about. Right? Notice, notice God's detailed description of Isaac. Your son. You're your only son whom you love. This was not just any old son that God required of Abraham. He didn't say, hey, you got 20 of them. Just go pick one, right? He doesn't even have to be your favorite. Just go pick one. Right? Some of us, we probably have a child in mind right now that we're willing to offer up. And if you can't think of any, I'm sure that the kids team downstairs might think of one or two. But this was different for Abraham. Right? It was his only son. The son he waited his whole life for 75 years, and then God says, Hey, I'm going to give you a son. And then he had to wait another 25 years for that promise. It was Isaac, the son whom Abraham loved. And even more, this son was not just the only son of Abraham. No, he was essential 
to, to God's promise concerning the blessing of the nations. And God wants him to be offered as a sacrifice. Imagine the feelings of Abraham. You think he was mad at God? There must have betrayal, the pain, the sadness, the confusion. All kinds of things just swirling around in his heart and mind right there. Let's look at verses 3 through 10. It says this. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both together, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God told them, Abraham built the altar there laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took his knife to slaughter his own son. Now we can, we can hear Abraham's faith, like the depth of his forging his life on God and his instructions to his, his men that worked for him. He said, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over to worship, and then we'll come back to you. Founding Church, how could he be so confident? So I don't know if I would even have gotten the donkey and made the ride. <laughs> how could he be so confident? Because, because of all those things that we were reminded of in verse 1. That's why. <laughs> you know, after these things, right? He was reminded of all that stuff before Abraham is convinced that God, who had already performed one miracle by putting life into a barren womb, well, he would certainly do one again, a miracle. Right? The, the writer of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. He considered, Abraham considered, that God was able to even raise him from the dead, his son, from which, figuratively speaking, he did and would receive him back. If God could put life in the womb, he could put life back in his son if he had to be sacrificed on that mountain. Right? In short, Abraham had arrived at this point of his faith journey in this adventure of following after God. In his forging a lifelong reliance on God, he has arrived at a point where he was confident. He was downright confident that he could trust God with his most valued possession. His son and a promise. Now the, the text gives us no clue as to how much time passed between verses eight and verses nine. 
Having arrived at the place that God designated Abraham, he built the altar. He arranged the wood in preparation for the sacrifice. This work may have taken a bit of time. And I've often, I've kind of wondered if any more conversation passed between father and son than what there already was. <laughs> what was going through Isaac's mind? <laughs> the text is silent. We're, we're only told in the most simple of terms that Abraham, he bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he raised his knife to kill his one and only son. Now, just, just reading this story, just hearing this story leaves us nearly breathless. There, there is no doubt Abraham was committed to obey the command of God. He has forged his life on God, and that means that he had a complete yes to what God was calling him to do, even if he didn't understand, even if he felt like just out of nowhere there was a bam right in his life, right? He was committed to it. He was committed to God and whatever God was calling him to do because Abraham had learned this. And listen, Foundry Church, because this is important. I want you to lean in and I want you to get a hold of this. Right? Look at this. Our circumstances never test the faithfulness of God. Our circumstances never test the faithfulness of God. Our circumstances only test our understanding of God's character. God never changes. That's so good. God never changes. He was faithful then. He'll be faithful today. And he's going to be faithful tomorrow. Right? The, the, the only test in this situation is whether Abraham really believed in the faithfulness of God who had been with him from the, his first calling in Ur to Sodom and to Gomorrah to this moment right here on the side of the mountain with a knife raised in the air over his son. Let's read on. Verses 11 through 14 is where the story gets really good. It says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. Look at it. Underline it in your Bible. Highlight it. All right. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on that mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. I mean, that's so cool. This, this place of a divine encounter became sacred for Abraham. And so he called it, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. In the original text, it was called Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. That might sound familiar because there's a, there's a really popular Christian song out there right now called Jireh. Uh, I think it's like up for a Grammy or something. All right, it's really popular, right? But but this spot on this mountain is named after that, right? The, it's, it's a faithful God, our, our Jehovah Jireh, our Lord who provides. The, the Hebrew Jireh, it might be of note in your Bible even, it can be translated as, as, as to see as well. 
It has two definitions. The Lord will provide, and it can be translated as to see. And what is the connection between seeing and providing? Right? Think about that. It has two definitions. So what is the connection between the Lord will provide and the Lord will see? Well, we can make the connection with the, the, the noun, the provision, a compound word made up of two Latin words when put together. I know I'm geeking out, all right? But there's two words when you put them together, right? You get this. You get to, to see beforehand. And so that's the, that's the definition. When you combine them, to see beforehand. So, so look at this, right? So this is what it is. God's prevision... His prevision leads to his provision. What he, he sees leads to his provision. What he sees before we even know leads to his ability to provide before we even know. All right? So God's prevision leads to his provision. Therefore, God, the God that Abraham forged his life on, saw ahead of time that Abraham would need a ram to save his son. So God provided a ram. Right? This, is, this is an amazing picture of salvation. Listen, all right, lean in and get a hold of this. I want you to white knuckle it. You know, when you grab a hold of something so tight, your knuckles turn white? That's what I mean by white knuckling it, right? You got, you got to grab a hold of this because this is an amazing picture of salvation. Before the foundation of the world, before the garden, before Noah, before Abram became Abraham, and before this test, before all of that, God had prior vision of man's sin and rebellion. He had that, right? He knew he would, he, we, we would miss the mark. And seeing our need, he made provision for the redemption of, of, of mankind by providing a lamb of sacrifice, King Jesus. His one and his only son. And don't miss this. It was Abraham's obedience that unleashed God's blessing in his life. Right? That's another reminder. Obedience is a key to a growing faith. James, he spoke of this issue in the New Testament when he said this in James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. I'm going to read it for you. Where he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he, was looked, what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? Those who do something with it, do something with the word of God, will be blessed in what they do. If you desire to unleash God's blessing in your life, if you want to discover uh, that God is your provider, that he is Jehovah Jireh, then obey, obey his word. <laughs> obey immediately and without reservation and see all that God will provide. Corey Ten Boom stated this. She put it like this. She said, if God sends us on strong paths... We're provided strong shoes. <laughs> right? If he's calling us to do something, if we read his will and all that, that is a tough teaching. Right? We just went through a series on that. Right? He calls us to do something. 
to order our life, to, to, to forge our life on him, he's going to provide us with the shoes that are needed to get that work done. Sometimes the path is hard. Just look at Abraham's life. But Jehovah Jireh is with you, and he's longing to provide for you. He is with us, and he is faithful. We need only to believe him and obey him. So, so how can we today, right here, right now, like why does this matter, right? Sure, we can, we can listen to songs on the radio about God will provide, that he's Jehovah Jireh. We can sing about God and providing, and, and we can say, okay, we can, we can read his word and obey, but that's easier said than done. So while the band comes up, I just want to challenge you with this to make this matter, to make it worth it. It's simple. I want you to identify your Isaac. <laughs> what circumstances, what person or thing are you having the most difficulty placing in God's care? What are you having difficulty placing in the care of God, placing it there with him? Maybe it's something simple like your diet, for example. Food has become sort of some sort of coping mechanism for you. You're bored, you eat something. You're sad, you eat something. You're angry, you eat something. You're worried, you eat something. And slowly food, or even worse, alcohol, or, or vaping, or porn, or whatever it is, has become the greatest focus of your life, even if you don't admit it. Maybe it's something like, like free time. Right? You don't know how to sit still or quiet or alone. So you spend hours upon hours just scrolling on your phone every night instead of being with your family. Or you just busy yourself instead of being with your family or reading your Bible or, or doing things that you know that you're supposed to be doing. Maybe it's something bigger like your marriage. You're, you're holding on tight to what you think your marriage should look like. And because it doesn't look like that, you think, well, it's over. It's failed. Well, maybe it's your job. You've decided that your job is the most important thing in this life. Maybe you haven't said that out loud, but you're working 70 hours a week and you cannot remember the last time that you made a home before, before seven and you forget having any personal time with God, forget being in, in study with his word so that you can obey. You can't even have time to hear it. So your job is more important. You get what I'm saying. Whatever Isaac is in your life, it has become, as God described it, the thing that you love. And if we're honest, it seems like the thing we love the most in this world. So what is your Isaac? That's the challenge, right? Write that down, right? Identify your Isaac. A couple months ago, some of us wrote them down. We put them there on the cross. We gave them to God, and we just need to be reminded. These are things that are keeping us forging our life on God. So once you identify your Isaac, you need to place your Isaac on the altar. You need to roast that sucker. Right? You need to roast it. And that's the tough part, right? This, this thing that we love, I want us to place it on the altar. I want us to just step away from it. You know, the, the biblical term for that is fasting. Right? There's a lot of things that I love that take up my time that are probably not worth it. Right now, now fasting, it can seem like a weird thing for people who did not grow up in the church. They, they think about intermittent fasting, fasting to lose weight. Or those people who go on hunger strikes, that's not that. Right? Fasting is simply going without something for a period of time to grow in our understanding and our dependence and in our faith on God. 
Now let me be clear, if you're having trouble surrendering control of your marriage or your children, that is not a call to stop talking to your spouse or your children for a week, right? You don't fast from them. I'm challenging us to fast from the things that are hindering those relationships. So let's say you fight every day with your kid because they won't leave you alone and while you're on your phone. Fast from your phone. Maybe this week you fast from social media, right? Maybe the, this, the, maybe your, your spouse and you, you fight every day about the chores around the house. And maybe this week you're just going to fast from the argument. I know it's easier said than done. But you got to humble yourself. That's what part of fasting is. You humble yourself. You, you set aside the ego and the pride. And you say, I'm just, I, you don't say it. You just do it. I'm going to do the chores. I'm going to love my, my wife in this way. I'm not going to fight over it. I'm going to rise above it with the power of God. I'm just going to do it. You you see where I'm going with this. There's a lot of ways that we can do this. Now, once you've decided to do this, right, when you you identified your Isaac, you're going to put it on the altar. You're going to fast from something that's, you know, keeping you there, right? Then we look for God's provision. God's, God's name is Jehovah Jireh. That's one of his names. The Lord will provide, and he has never once not lived up to his name. So this week, as you go throughout your fast, all right, I, I'm fasting from the snooze button. I, I wake up early, and sometimes I, I make excuses in my mind. I'm like, oh, I got time. I can stay in bed. All right, I don't... But if I know if I stay in bed, even if I hit snooze for that one nine-minute cycle, it sets my day off wrong. Right, then, I'm, then I'm rushed in my, my study. I'm rushed in my, my time with, with Christina in the morning. I'm rushed in whatever. It just, I just know it, if that simple hitting that button for nine minutes, which I don't even sleep through, ruins my day. It's a simple, stupid thing. Right, so I'm going to fast from hitting that. I know it ruins my day. So, so we, we know, right? We, we, we set this up. We look for God's provision. So this week, as we go throughout that fast, as I'm fasting from that, and whatever you're fasting from, write down the ways that God is providing for you. Be searching for areas to be grateful for, for gratitude. There's journals out there at the info center. Grab one from Kirsten or, or Paul the, the, um, on your way out. Write them down. I want you to tell someone. I want you to tell your kids what you're grateful for, how God is providing for you. Tell your spouse. Tell your small group. And I want you to tell me, right? You can, you can email me, Andrew at the Foundry Church. I want to praise God with you because I know he will provide. He will provide clarity when you step into that fast, when you put that thing on the altar. He'll provide wisdom when you do that. He'll provide patience when you do that. He'll provide understanding when you do that. He'll provide redemption. He'll provide restoration. I know he will do it, and I want you to see it and to track it. You can experience a breakthrough in your faith walk in forging a lifelong reliance on God when you are willing to trust God with those things that you hold most precious. Make that decision today to fast and to trust Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides.